Our text this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 28, verses 10 to 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth to the, the top of it reaching the heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is not other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Lowe's at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I, can, I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house, and all of that you give me, I will surely give one thing to you. This is the word of the Lord. So tomorrow's Memorial Day, a day that literally means a day to remember, and one way to remember a person or a whole group of people is to carve their name or carve that day into the national holiday calendar. Especially if you name a day after a person or people, we will remember it. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, celebrated on the third Monday of January, calls King to mind each year. Though he has been lost to a sniper's bullet, a holiday named after him helps keep King alive, at least in our memory. Memorial Day, celebrated on the last Monday of May, calls to mind those who died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. Even though they're no longer with us, their lives are remembered by the Memorial Day holiday. Well, according to Merriam-Webster, a memorial is something, anything that keeps remembrance alive. A memorial can be a day carved into the national calendar. It can be a stone set up or carved in a particular place. It can be any structure erected to remember someone or some 
event. When I drive Lucy, my daughter, to school each morning, we'll come downhill and go down Del Mar and then make a left turn on Wilson Avenue. And as we make that left turn, for a time we saw right on Wilson Avenue a white bike that had been chained to a post. You might have seen it too or seen bikes like this. It's sometimes called a ghost bike or a ghost cycle or a white cycle. It's a memorial put out to remember someone who had died while riding a bike in that place. And whoever sets up such a memorial wants the person, though lost to death, to be alive in memory. If there is a person whose voice we can no longer hear, whose hands we can no longer touch, but we don't want to let be forgotten, we create memorials so that we remember them, so that they remain alive in a sense, at least in our consciousness, our memory, and our hearts. Human beings often craft memorials and have through history and do today. Here's the Soldiers National Monument at the center of the Gettysburg National Cemetery in Pennsylvania. Each of the tombstones was placed there to remember a particular individual. The monument was carved to remember all those who died in the Battle of Gettysburg back in 1863. It was the bloodiest and, they say, most decisive of the battles in the Civil War. This is a memorial located in Michigan, carved to remember Harriet Tubman, an abolitionist famous for her work as a conductor for the Underground Railroad. She helped bring a host of enslaved people of African descent to freedom back in the years leading up to the Civil War. And as you may be aware, there was an initiative under the Obama administration to memorialize her as well by putting her face on the $20 bill. But four days ago, the Treasury Secretary announced this new bill would not appear while Trump was in office. Trump had been critical of the bill back in the 2016 presidential campaign. The conflict reminds us memorials are powerful. Memorials speak to a nation's sense of who is most important to remember and who we might want to just let be forgotten. Here's a Holocaust memorial in Berlin. Attached to it is an underground place of information holding the names of approximately three million Jewish victims of the Holocaust, lest they be forgotten in that place, Germany, where so many were killed. And here's the 9-11 memorial dedicated just eight years ago and built to remember the nearly 3,000 killed in the attacks of September 11, 2001 and the World Trade Center bombing of 1993. The names of those who lost their lives are carved on the outside and those two fountains were built where the foundation of the two towers once stood. Place is important for memorials, for memorials are designed to call to mind someone or some people who stood, who walked, who lived in precisely that place. They recall an event that took place right there. I was intrigued to see memorials figuring prominently in the newest Avengers movie. They're, they're still how human beings process loss and how we try to keep people with us. You might remember in that movie that it imagines a period of time where half of the human population suddenly is turned to dust. And five years later, how do we see human beings dealing with that trauma? We see memorials set up around a park in San Francisco with names of all those who vanished on it. The scene from 
the Avengers recalls monuments like the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. There's something about we as human beings. We want to remember people, people whose physical presence may no longer be with us, but we still feel are with us in spirit, and we don't want to forget them. So we carve their names in stone. We set up stones or memorials or bikes or some object that will call them to our minds so they can stay alive with us in some meaningful way. Well, today's passage from Genesis 28 tells of one of the most famous memorials ever built in Scripture. Jacob, we read, erected a stone, and he did it in memory of someone who Jacob could no longer see or hear or touch, who wasn't with him in exactly the same way he had been with Jacob in a dream, and yet Jacob did not want to forget this person. Jacob wanted this person remaining alive for him in his consciousness, in his thoughts, in his memory. Jacob didn't want to lose this memory that he'd gotten in a dream, so Jacob built a memorial right where that person had stood before his eyes. At the start of today's text, we're not told the name of the place yet that would become so sacred for Jacob that he would build a memorial there. We're just told initially that it was a place, a place between Beersheba and Haran. This is a place located roughly 12 miles north of Jerusalem called Beit El that some imagine just might have been the place Jacob lay his head long ago, perhaps on one of those stones. We're alerted early on in today's passage that even before the place is named to pay attention to this place, to place itself, we read in verse 11 how Jacob came to a certain place, how he took a stone from that place and how he lay his head down on that place. The Hebrew word for place, makome, shows up three times in verse 11 alone and then six times in the whole passage. Scripture reminds us we encounter people, we have experiences that shape us and move our hearts in place. We don't have them nowhere, we have them in particular places. Place matters to people and place matters to God. So pay attention to place. Verse 11 of today's text proclaims our experiences and memories are tied to place. And after reading in verse 11 of how Jacob lay down in that place, we then read of a dream he had. Now, he's not here this morning, but I love evoking Chris Sladoff's art because not only is he a part of this congregation, but it's so rare to have a Presbyterian thinking artistically in terms of sculpture. But that's what Chris Sladoff does, and I love this depiction he's done. He hasn't yet put it to bronze. I hope he will one day. But this is entitled Jacob's Ladder, Jacob's Ladder. And notice that when Chris carved this piece, there's no angels ascending or descending. We don't even see a ladder. There's no image of God suddenly showing up. All we see is a person laying their head on rock, and it's an earthy shot to my eye. It imagines even the blanket over Jacob as a kind of rock. It imagines Jacob immersed in a particular place or plot of earth. It imagines Jacob getting deep into place. And after all, place is where God meets us, right? Place of earth. And so we see Jacob as he's about to get this revelation or perhaps even receiving the revelation imbued deep down in place. And it's there that God shows up for him as God does for us earthen creatures in places of earth. 
We read in today's passage that in that place, Jacob dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Here's how the Chinese artist Hekui imagined that moment. And here's how a 17th century painter, Bartolome Esteban Murillo, imagined it. The imagery of angels ascending and descending a ramp or ladder. It imagines not an impenetrable wall between heaven, the dwelling place of God, and earth, the dwelling place of human beings. It imagines that as Jacob is enveloped in place, a portal seems to open in his dream between heaven and earth. And I love how Walter Brueggemann describes this meeting of heaven and earth. He understands heaven in this text to mean the place of promise. Heaven is where God's promises can be seen. Earth is where things are as we see them today. And this portal, this opening between heaven and earth is where God's promises, that is the future God has in store, the world as God will one day have it breaks into the world as it is, the realm of heaven breaking into earth, promise reaching our world and filling it with divine possibility and presence. And with the portal open, who should appear next beside Jacob but the Lord God standing beside him? No artist that I have seen has even attempted to paint God in that picture. And how could they? One commentator calls this moment when God is standing by Jacob a, quote, still point in the turning world, a still point in the turning world, quoting T.S. Eliot. It's a moment where one plot of earth, one point in time is held as if in a camera's frame and declared sacred, shown to be sacred, filled with the presence of God, filled with God's promises. It's a theophany. A moment when the God of the heavens, the God of promise, meets someone on earth, and lest there be any misunderstanding as to precisely who is standing there, God says to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you and your offspring, the God who called Abram and Sarai to know God's blessing and be a blessing. This is the same God that meets Jacob and promises him blessing and calls him to be a blessing to others. Then Jacob wakes up from his sleep, and though he cannot see this God anymore, can't touch this God, can't hear this God speaking to him as he could in his dream, Jacob realizes something. He recognizes that the God who met him in the dream had been there all along was still with him, would be with him, in fact. So Jacob utters one of the great affirmations in Scripture. Surely, he says, the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How often have you found yourself making that kind of a statement? How often have you recognized looking back on something that's happened? Wait, God was here all the time. I see it now looking back, but I recognize, too, that that same God I saw is, is here now. Surely, God is in this place, and I did not know it. At a session meeting last week, J. Kim reminded our elders of the power of the Ignatian prayer of examine. The prayer of examine is a simple exercise of looking back on your day and noting where God showed up. The practice recognizes God is always around us, ever-present and ever-at-work in the world, but too often we fail to notice it. So the examine helps us pause and look back. 
And it can lead us time and again to say, oh, oh, I see it now, though I did not see it before. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Josh Lush gave me Bruce Springsteen's autobiography as a gift. He knows that I love Springsteen. And if you read this autobiography, Springsteen, somebody I don't tend to associate with as a deeply spiritual person, in fact shows a profound spirituality to place and how he looks on places in his past. I love how he looks back on his hometown of Freehold, New Jersey, and it's like he's doing an Ignatian prayer of exam and looking back on what he had observed and experienced in Freehold and how it showed him a God who's active there and at work in other places too. Here's what he writes. When it rains, the moisture and the humid air blankets our town with the smell of damp coffee grounds wafting in from the Nescafe factory at the town's eastern edge. I don't like coffee, but I like that smell. It's comforting. It unites the town in a common sensory experience. It's good industry, like the roaring rug mill that fills our ears, brings work, and signals our town's vitality. There is a place here. You can hear it, smell it, where people make lives, suffer pain, enjoy small pleasures, play baseball, die, make love, have kids, and do their best to hold off the demons that seek to destroy us, our homes, our families, our town. Here we live in the shadow of the steeple, where the holy rubber meets the road, all crookedly blessed in God's mercy, in the heart-stopping, soul-shaking, love and fear-making, heartbreaking town of freehold. New Jersey, let the service begin, he writes. You see what he's saying, don't you? Surely God was in this place, freehold New Jersey, and I did not know it. We dig into a place, really dig in, and we have eyes, and if we have eyes to see it, even if we can't touch God's hand as we could a human hand, or hear God's voice as we could a human voice, or see God standing before us as we can see another person standing before us today, we can still say, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. We can say that about Pasadena and this corner of Hill and Del Mar recognizing that God was, is, and would be present with him. Having met this God face to face, Jacob does what human beings have done for millennia. He builds a memorial, lest he forget. A biography can be a kind of memorial, as Springsteen writes down his story and what he's seen. Jacob builds a memorial, puts a stone up, and that serves as a reminder. When someone dear to you is no longer with you in sound, touch, and voice, but you want to remember them, build a memorial, right? Build a memorial. Jacob had not only a past experience to remember, an encounter to recall, but he had a revelation he wanted to hold on to, and that was that God was, is, and would be with him in that place, and in other places he would go as well. So he builds a memorial to remember. 
Have you ever built a memorial because some encounter with God, some experience was so powerful you did not want to forget it? You didn't want to forget that God was still with you and would be with you. I remember years ago at a church out in Connecticut visiting another youth minister's office, and this youth minister had put up on the wall framed pictures of every confirmation class that he had worked with over nearly two decades of ministry. And I realized, looking at, oh yeah, he has made memorials. He has seen the presence of God somehow at work in each one of those students that he was blessed to know, seeing God at work in their lives of faith. And now they're no longer there at his church. So many had moved away, gone to college or gone to other states or places for work, but he did not want to forget how God had shown up for them in those times with the students. And so he put these photos of those students up as memorials. Memorials are powerful. When I went to visit the Isle of Iona just a couple years back and had powerful experiences of the presence of God, I brought back with me a stone from Iona, something physical to remember a God who shows up in places like Iona. And since returning, I thought to myself, wait, God isn't just in Iona. God is here in this place. And so I grabbed, too, a stone from a visit to Eaton Canyon. And I love the physicality of it, the memory that God is at work in this place, the God who is sovereign and rules over all places. So just yesterday, 17 of us went to visit the Casa Orphanage And before we left, each one of the children had made for us an individual memorial, something they hoped would help us remember the time we had with them and remember each one of those children as individual creations of God, precious people in God's eyes, children of God. So they gave us a picture that they had made with their name on it. This one was made by Javier. And they gave this to us, to each one of us, to take back with us. And these were to help us remember how God had showed up for us in that place, that stretch of land in Tijuana where orphaned children are shown love and given a glimpse of the great love God has for the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant. The physicality of these memorials that we can see and touch, they're tied to a specific place and it's what gives them their power. They call to our minds a God who's at work in all places, but for us connected with specific places in our experience and people like the children of the Casa. And of course, the most famous Christian memorial of all time hangs in the center of our sanctuary and of our sites as we gather for worship. It's a simple memorial, the cross. It recalls one place on earth, Golgotha, outside Jerusalem in ancient Palestine, and it recalls a person we desperately don't want to forget, that we want to keep ever-present in our minds and hearts, the persons, the very one in whom the God of heaven came to be with us. In John's gospel, Jesus would refer back to the story from Genesis 28 of angels ascending and descending a ladder, and he would tell one of his disciples, Nathaniel, that the place where that ladder, that place connecting earth and heaven now rests is the Son of Man, a reference to himself. 
Jesus the Christ is the one in whom the fullness of God saw fit to dwell, the one in whom we hear the ancient promise of God to Jacob, I will be with you, proclaimed in a new way. Jesus would say to his disciples before ascending into heaven, I will be with you always in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, specific places. And then he says, and even to the very ends of the earth. And he could say that, for he had been raised by God to life and would be at work in the world he promised by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so by holding fast to faith in that Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, we, we can say as believers today, surely the Lord is in this place, this place, and I did not know it. For the Lord is with us in all places, in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And don't you see, don't you see there on the cross and there in our sacred text, Jacob's words, they are yours and mine in the end. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't see it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen.